0: Welcome to another Slycast at WIBAFM.com and free on the iHeartRadio app. Now joining us, former Madison Police Chief Mike Koval. Mike, thanks for coming on the show today. Always a
1: pleasure, Sly. You know you're a good partner to the, to the people, so I like to have this forum. Thank
0: you. Well, I read the funniest story the other day, and yet it was tragic at the same time. The very people who gave the police officers, the boot from Madison Public Schools, are setting up an ad hoc committee to address public safety. And it's taking them a very long time to do it. But they've got everybody involved in this thing. Students, they've got, you know, parents, they've got themselves. What do you think about public safety by committee?
1: Well, I I thought it was interesting because Based on all of the disturbances that we've already seen happening at MMSD, and oh by the way, we're just seeing the more prolific ones because I can assure you that the rank and file assures me that they're trying to tap down and mitigate a heck of a lot more stuff going on internally because they're MMSD and they're ever so cognitive of the uh, or excuse me conscious of the optics of everything. Public relations are us is another euphemism for MMSD in my. Humble opinion, but in any event, yeah, I thought it was fascinating because when they had the new superintendent come in, I think arguably he could have chosen to wash his hands and say, you know, listen, I inherited whatever my successors put into place. And and now that we have this uh, issue of public safety, again, rising to the forefront, this is an opportunity to compile this like blue ribbon ad hoc committee. And it was I, I was very hopeful. I was thinking, this is what, exactly what I had hoped to see. And then there was like sort of a semicolon, a pause, and said, everything's on the table except SROs. And I'm like, oh, no, I guess that the PC handlers have gotten to this person, and it's already a beta complete. Yeah, I find it interesting that you can have a public safety ad hoc committee where literally everybody is accessed everybody save for arguably the subject matter experts on safety, the cops. And the fact that they were shut out altogether on this blue ribbon committee that has taken months to convene, I think they're basically trying to dribble the ball out until the, goal po- until the final clock sounds in late May and early June and, and then free the collective sigh of relief and said, well, we got through that one. But again, all they're doing is kicking the can down the road, they don't have a principal partner at the table, and that's uh, a sad commentary on a, a, a lack of authenticity on the part of the board, the district, the superintendent, all of whom should be shame on them for not having the police at those conversations.
0: Well, I find it interesting because the police still come to the high schools, uh, you know, yeah. in a reactive manner. Uh, But in many cases, the damage is already done. People have lost school time. People have been injured. Uh, There is a palpable fear. Numerous times, parents have just kept their kids home. And look, these are not right-wing Republican parents. These These are people who live in Madison, Wisconsin, right? And all they want is their children to have a safe public education. And
1: I don't think they're asking too much, given the amount of taxes that Madison people are paying for that service. Yeah, I I think that is very, very sad on so many levels, because I think that I've also seen, I I was uh, on my way yesterday somewhere, and I listened, and they said there was a national poll that released, and they said one-third of teachers polled, uh, mentioned that they, too, felt that they had been threatened Or physically assaulted, or literally felt there was imminent harm to them. And and many of those were looking at a vocational crossroads of a crisis nature and were looking at pursuing other schools, other districts, or another line of work altogether. So I think on every level, not only do the parents feel like they should, and they do, they, they should be entitled to have an environment where their kids can just thrive and concentrate with the business of social interaction and. Good educational environments, but also the teachers. You're 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 hopefully a t- a trying to attract the best and brightest to motivate, inspire, and mentor our kids in their formative years. And if those people are also sort of saying, you know, life's too short, and I don't have to put up with this aggravation, or I'll I'll find a district where there is a greater measure of certainty. Well, that's those right. They're all consequences.
0: Madison is in competition with other school districts for the best teachers.
1: Absolutely they are, and in the private sector as well. So there's a, the private schools are, are starting to flourish more, and our charter schools. So what's, what's sad is that I'm a big uh, proponent of public education, but if nothing else, if, if nothing else on Dayton Street, I would hope that the bean counters would see that over the last three years, during spe- periods of enrollment, open enrollment, the net loss to the district has been, darn near 2,000 students, and that affects your bottom line in terms of state aid.
0: So, this isn't a direct comparison, but when Governor Walker foolishly passed Act 10, taking collective bargaining rights away from correctional officers, uh, and and they lost a lot of their bargaining power on safety, uh, I had many correctional officers and the late Marty Beal from AFSCME tell me that inmates picked up on that right away. Because the authority and the, prote- you know, the, the order within the prison had been shaken up. And frankly, the correctional officers had been undercut. And many prisoners took advantage of that. Well, I'm not calling students prisoners, right? But I do think kids kind of pick up on the fact that teachers have lost the, lost the right to discipline and that the police officers are gone. I, I, kids are smart, right? Uh, Kids,
1: if nothing else, are very street savvy, and they pick up on those cues very readily. And if they know that there are no direct correlations or cause and effect for consequences of actions, you're right. You're, You're literally sitting on this very volatile situation in which it's just a handful. Let's be clear. There's a handful of chronic kids who, for whatever reasons, have really no desire to be in school, no motivation to be in school, and or they don't have the decision-maker or critical thinking to know that school is a place of learning. And so they're there to be very dysfunctional and are just literally going through the obligatory phases of having to show up. Each school has, you know, this handful or more of folks that sort of galvanize and create this, this resistive tension that can bubble over. I mean, so often now, as you probably understand more than most, social media platforms are 24-7 and feuds and girlfriends and boyfriends that are breaking up and making up or courting on another uh, uh, suitor, all that stuff's taking place in the aftermath past 4 p.m., and then it's going to manifest itself in these not-so-coincidental meetings, whether it be the lunchroom, passing at the halls, meeting at the schools, and then it just
0: all spills out. People have marched into classrooms and beat people up.
1: Absolutely, and we've got it captured on tape, and and quite frankly, I don't know that if I'm a teacher, I'm being paid enough, nor did I sign up to to literally be a hands-on use-of-force practitioner. I don't know that that's fair to them to try to have to keep the pace with people who are bigger, stronger, younger, and have less to lose than they do.
0: Well, and I think plenty of teachers saw that the district didn't defend teachers when they did step up.
1: Correct. I couldn't agree more. And so the fact of the matter is is that i I, the one of the articles I read had somebody who was assembling that ad hoc committee you referred to earlier in your opening as you know, we're really finding it difficult to have we don't have enough applicants for the security. And I'm like, well, your security is basically a toothless wolf because. They they basically can't do anything. Uh, they can barely lay hands on stuff. About the most they can do is interrupt a fight. But other than that, they have very limited training. They have very limited use of force authority. And the students also know that as well. So it's this perfect storm. So
0: we have a Barney and, we have a Barney Fife problem.
1: We do indeed. That's <laughs> a good. You know, you're old enough to remember Barney Fife, and so am I. But we might have to. Re- <laughs> to
0: try a newer one. Well, I get it. it. So the the SROs. I think about all the the bomb threats that were called into my alma mater, James Madison Memorial High School. Maybe I can't call it that anymore. But, uh yeah, they're going to change another Probably name of the school, right. right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so I think about those threats and the difficulty they had finding the person. But the police got it done. But You wonder if an SRO had been in that building. You know, they always had their ear ear open for what was going on, and kids talk to kids, and things get around. And when you were chief, how often was it that SROs were able to get ahead of a problem that was brewing and coming, and and they could take proactive steps so we didn't have to go through the whole process of emptying the school or people being frightened?
1: Every other day, because you're right, the the SRO is not there to be Ricky or Rachel the Rat. They're there to build relational skills. They're there to act as mentors. They're there to be a presence and a person that people can confide in, as if they were talking to someone in a fiduciary relationship. So oftentimes, kids are saying, you don't know nothing from nothing, but here's what I hear. And even if it's third or fourth hand, the officers are are collecting that intel and can very um, uh, uh, covertly, if you will, sort of vet it to see is there any legs to this or is it just conjecture, is it just hyperbole. And then they can also be working in conjunction with, the school authorities and say, hey, look, you know, we we might have something, a tempest in a teapot, could be some, could be nothing, but let's continue to review and touch base with one another, or let's have a greater presence, I'm going to need some more help during the two hours of open lunch where there's likely to be this uh, calamity of various powers meeting, and if, and if they see that we have a presence, if I've got all the area principals and i got the security people, if, if they can just sense that we're there, uh, that might be just enough. And oftentimes, you're absolutely right, we were able to be very preemptive and avoid these things spilling out into fisticuffs or, or worse.
0: It really is just another version of community policing, right?
1: We're oh con- my gosh, it is, <laughs> it is the penultimate community because for eight hours you've got 2,400 people, students, staff, faculty, uh, infrastructure folks, and they're all basically compelled to hang out with one another for eight hours or so. And in in that light, I've always viewed schools as a microcosm of the greater society. So if there is domestic violence in our society, if there is drug abuse, if there is gangs, if there are guns, it, it, why are we not surprised that some of that would arguably then spill over to this very close and confined community? So in that sense, the officer is sort of the face of uh, who people can go to for trust, who people can go to for a subject matter uh, expert. Uh, and in that sense, I think that it was really fulfilling an erstwhile need. Because the, at the end of the day, those SROs were really plugged in, with working with the behavioral specialist, with the psychologist, the student nurse, and they were part of a complementary team. And, of course, those officers would be the first to say that if something culminates...
0: Okay, round two. Name something that's
1: not boring.
0: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
1: Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No by 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In an arrest or a ticket, did we in fact exhaust all other logical options before we had to reach this threshold? Because I think they take it that, that when they're part of that behavioral response that when When a kid is having problems at home or at work or whatever the case may be, and then it manifests itself in in malfeasance or misbehavior in in, in that workplace, in that that case, the school, usually it's symptomatic of something else. Well, has the kid been taking their meds? Has the kid been living in a car and doesn't have anything to eat? We have a lot of homeless kids that are basically in our schools, and, and I don't know if they're being fed. We have subsidized breakfast, lunch, and dinners, but there's a whole host of social issues which can manifest themselves as outpourings or outgrowths of kids that are, are acting out then. And it would be nice if we knew that, okay, this kid is basically having a hard time, and what we should be doing is working in contact with that social worker before it bubbles over and say, hey, maybe you need to just go home and work from home and take some of your classes online today because your attitude is getting you increasingly agitated, becoming increasingly agitated and you're going to continue to spiral out of control so maybe we just need to have a breath, a pause, a tap, the brakes, and let's figure out what's ailing you and and I thought that the, the SROs really embraced that role and loved being a part of that treatment plan for every kid that was involved that they knew about. And it's not one of those things where, you know, let's see, your productivity is going to be evaluated by how many tickets or arrests you make. Quite the contrary. Those kinds of manifestations would give pause at are you exhausting all other logical means, short of arrest, short of a ticket? That should only be our last gas measure. And, you know, those those officers like Community policing officers are literally interviewed by a consortium of students, faculty, staff, administrators, and MPD. They have to audition for the job, and they they come in with a freshman class, and then they leave when that class walks in four years. So it's as if they were a part of that student body, mm-hmm. and in that way, they're making names and faces and relationships come to life. Whereas now when you have a cop that's reacting to something that's already happened there's very little that can be done now that the damage is gone or the milk has been spilled now you're dealing about okay i've got 16 other calls in the queue i got to get in get out and get on with my life so line up for a ticket or line up to go to the juvenile reception you know it's just, so it's it's not like they don't want to take those options but the patrol officer in a reactionary mode doesn't have the time, doesn't have the resources, doesn't know the kids like an embedded school resource officer would have.
0: I would love to see an advisory referendum to see what voters would say. It would uh, it would be overwhelming. You know, it, it's real clear what just happened in February in the Milwaukee mayoral primary. The two candidates that finished first and second both did not support the defund the police movement. The woman that did run on that platform got crushed. And, you know, it's all in all likelihood that Cavalier Johnson's going to be the next mayor of Milwaukee. He's so wisely said, why don't you come to my district and I speak to African Americans. I, I, they, they show up at these meetings and none of them are saying defund the police. They want police in their neighborhoods.
1: Exactly. And I will say that there was um, polling done Uh, independently of the police department at schools like West when this SRO debate was raging. And over 70% of the faculty, students, and staff all overwhelmingly said, please keep the SROs. I know as as a complete group, all of the school nurses who work hand-in-glove with a lot of the SROs, they overwhelmingly wanted those officers there. The school social workers did. That's why... I found it somewhat ironic. I, I read a column a couple of weeks ago by by two uh, teachers that t- together collaborated on "Keep SROs out of the school. This is a societal issue." I'm like, well, you know, it's interesting because it's East Turn to sort of be the eye of the hurricane the last two weeks, and it was Memorial's the week before that. And these things go in and, we- and ebbs and flows. But you know, I, I I think that if people are so quick to say. Let's reimagine the role of police. I'd like to have those same people who are our greatest detractors or downright haters to reimagine whatever stereotypes they may have forged or formed or had handed down as a legacy and give us a chance to show how we're not a bunch of, uh, you know, the historic, you know, what was it, the, the big Irish cop, uh, from from Chicago who would uh, hit you first and ask questions later. That is so passe. That is so contrary to anything that we're trying to create because we understand that the police are the community and the community are the police. And when I left, we didn't even have any white SROs. We had a Latina and three black guys at our high school. So uh, the fact that I would hear all these accusations of racism and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's just like, show me where that's actually true, because all I see is a bunch of false narratives being parroted over and over again.
0: Yeah, it was it was based on cliches and innuendo yeah. and stereotyping. It, there really was no <laughs> empirical evidence that SROs were the problem in the schools, anything but... So, And there will be a school board, the one competitive school race, one candidates for SROs and the other isn't. It'll be interesting to see what happens with that. I want to ask you before we go today about what you think uh, is going on with the process with this shooting of a man by DCI on the east side and the sheriff's department kind of the roles reverse and the sheriff's department's investigating it. Uh, people are very frustrated that they just don't have any information on The public is just kind of scratching their head that they don't have any information on this. Is there a way to improve this process that, so there's more uh, transparency?
1: I definitely agree. I think if nothing else, what you have to do is be more uh, accessible. I mean, it seems like there's this complete wall of, of, of absolutely no information. And if nothing else, It might be helpful if when these are process-driven things that someone is, is using this as an opportunity to educate the public to say, okay, here's what has to happen, and literally synthesize all the various investigative steps that must occur without compromising that investigation, but at least that informs the community that, oh i I hadn't thought about oh well, the forensics you need to you need to do angulation of shooting and 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 you need to be able to look at which bullet or or shell corresponded to which officer's uh weapon, and you need to look at positioning so there's the forensic thing there's the constantly going through interviews and uh, all kinds of things, and so due process would suggest that you don't want to rush coming to a conclusion about. Uh, whether the officers acted appropriately. But given the fact that there is, uh, the more, that silence is deafening. When you say nothing, people will allow that void to be filled with their own conjecture.
0: You know how I support the police. There's a couple aspects of this event that I find deeply troubling.
1: And I, to be honest with you, looking at my own alma mater, MPD, there have been incidents that have occurred within the last two years that have me scratching my head saying, well, you got to give the public more than what we're hearing. Well, we do. we never really got a
0: lot of information why that sheriff's deputy was fired after firing no. her gun in in Western Dane County.
1: Yeah, we just read about the result, and I'm I'm saying, well, wait a minute now. I, I think that the public is uh, deserving of two things of of their public servants, and particularly police who are invested with statutory authority to take away their liberty and to use force. We have to understand transparency and accountability are two sides of the same coin and if you don't have an abundance of both in equal measure on both sides that will let people form their own conclusions and usually those conclusions are not going to be predisposed to favoring the police position so you have to be ever cognizant of are we being transparent are we holding people accountable and i may be add a third wing We have a responsibility to inform, and in some instances, it's to educate. Sometimes you're educating against a culture that has been uh, basically grown accustomed to seeing complex uh, police incidents reduced to 50 minutes of an hour show, less the commercials. And so that expectation, coupled with the fact that, you know, we Google this, we, we search that, we have instant access to information, uh, that whole sort of part of our new culture, our new normal, means that law enforcement, the police, the sheriff's department, they have to be ever more sensitive in getting the information out, if for no other reason than to discuss process and why things take longer.
0: So what day are you moving back to Madison, and when are you announcing <laughs> your candidacy for mayor?
1: Well, here's the deal. Um, I understand you have a nice place on the near west side. I'm pretty quiet. I have two dogs. I'd have to take a de facto residency with your place, change the post office box, uh, and, and I don't know. You know, I come and go at all hours of the night, but I'm, I'm otherwise a pretty good bunkie. So uh, I, I can just see my wife for, you know, various visits and of other natures. But, uh, you know, it, it does give me pause because, you know, you and I both grew up in this community, and we want only the very best. And the fact of the matter is, is as go the fortunes of Madison, uh, for those who have decided that they can uh, flee to the suburbs, as go the fortunes of Madison, so goes everybody's fortune. So you can't just write Madison off. We have to assume the best and hope for good leadership. And we have to uh, hopefully Madison will at some point take some smelling salt and come to a sense of what's reasonable under the totality of what we see breaking out in our schools and in our streets and in our society in general. And it it saddens me that so many people have sort of castigated the police as um, the root evil of so many societal difficult and complex... Well,
0: you know what that is? That's just lazy.
1: Yeah, I think it is. I really do. I think it's easier just to sort of... It's almost... You don't look at nuance. You don't look at context. It's so easy to just to... Catch uh, a nice little pithy phrase and and latch on to it as if well, it, um, it, as if it stated a conclusion without any merit. There are you know? people
0: that do the same thing with public school teachers; they blame everything Absolutely. on public school teachers. And, and you know, the truth yeah. is, the, it's a skilled promes- uh, profession that is an art. Teaching is an art, and so is, so is law enforcement. And I think we have to respect people that are professionals.
1: Yeah, I do, and I think uh, the concern I have is that. If we continue to vilify those two occupations, then it will be a self-fulfilling prophecy. We will ultimately get what we asked for. And and I didn't want, when I was recruiting, um, the action Jacksons who just wanted to kick butt, take names, and, and literally live a glorified episode of the cops segment. I wanted people who unapologetically embraced the notion that you're basically a social worker doing a hell of a lot of diagnostics, uh, quality of life issues, problem solving, partnering with other agencies to look for better conclusions. And oh, by the way, yeah, about 20% of your day is actually carved out for the enforcement of law. What? Everything else, it's referral, diagnostics, and and helping people. So well, it's it's interesting like
0: that, you mention that. It's interesting you mention yeah. that because I, I love watching cops and the reruns. You watch the cops episodes from the late 80s and early 90s. And then the right. ones into the 2000s, the yes. attitude of the officers, entirely different. Well, it, well The change it, that not- took place in that 10 years. Now, I know they've got a camera on them, but uh, you did not have the hot dogging or the really harsh negative no. attitude towards suspects in the later years. you, And this is all over the country. There really That's was not- a remarkable change.
1: Well, and again, I think it is, too, the fact that you have to recruit a diverse workplace, a lot more women, a lot of people of color, and that way you're actually mirroring the constituents that you are have taken an oath to protect and serve. And I think the more educated your workforce is, and I mean educated in a very, very diverse way, I don't want, and I, and I love, don't, don't take this wrong, my friend from the criminal justice program at You're beautiful people, and I love you. But I also need the social workers, the nursing students, the poli-sci, the philosophy. I loved having degrees that literally captured all the disciplines out there, because in that sense, then, I think your culture as an agency is less likely to succumb to groupthink, and you're more critical when you're thinking and you're more out of the box in terms of your approach to problem solving. So when I say diverse workforce, I'm saying not just age and gender, but I'm talking also about life experiences, volunteer experiences, work experiences, and degreed experiences. And in that sense, I think when you have something that's that diversified as a product, a, the chief is going to be in a position and the sheriff's department is going to get in a position to have people that are much more objective and critical in saying, man, we're screwing up, dude. you got to look at this because this is what my community is saying to me, and I agree with them. If, if all we have are 482 guys the Madison Police Department uh, that have uh, shaved haircuts like mine uh, and are white, that's not going to provide the diversity of thought that you need, and it doesn't provide the sense of approachability that the community insists on when we're policing our people. So,
0: Former Madison Police Chief Mike Koval, hang on the line a minute. Uh, thanks for coming on our Slycast today.
1: Thank you, Sly. Always an opportunity. Thank you.
0: All right. You can get your Slycast free on the iHeartRadio app or at WIBAFM.com.